Our Old Testament lesson is from Genesis 3, verses 8 through 21. And they heard the sound of the Lord walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. He said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, The woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me the fruit of the tree, and I ate. Then the Lord God said to the woman, What is this you have done? The woman said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate. The Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, Cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. To the woman he said, I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be contrary to your husband, but he shall rule over you. And to Adam he said, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return." The man called his wife's name Eve, because she was the mother of all living. And the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skins and clothed them. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The psalm today is Psalm 46. We'll read responsibly by whole verse. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth be moved, and though the hills be carried into the midst of the sea, though its waters rage and swell, and though the mountains shake at its tempest. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, and holy dwelling place of the Most High. God is in the midst of her, therefore she shall not be moved. God shall help her at the break of day. The nations are in an uproar, and the kingdoms are moved. But God has lifted his voice, and the earth shall melt away. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. O come and behold the works of the Lord, what devastations he has brought upon the earth. He makes wars to cease in all the world. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear and burns the chariots in the fire. Be still then and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations and I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. Glory be to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. Our New Testament lesson is from Ephesians, chapter 5, verses 21 through 33. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. 
Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives, as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Our gospel lesson this morning comes from Mark chapter 10, verses 1 through 10. Will you please stand for the reading of the Gospel? Church, this is the Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to St. Mark. Jesus left there and went to the region of Judea and beyond the Jordan. And the crowds gathered to him again, and again, as was his custom, he taught them. And Pharisees came up, and in order to test him, asked, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? He answered them, What did Moses command you? They said, Moses allowed a man to write a certificate of divorce and to send her away. Jesus said to them, Because of your hardness of heart, he wrote this commandment. But from the beginning, God made them male and female. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. And in the house, the disciples asked him again about this matter. And he said to them, whoever divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery against her. And if she divorces her husband and marries another, she commits adultery. This is the gospel of the Lord. Please be seated. Continuing in a sermon series on Ephesians today, if you brought a Bible with you, open it up to Ephesians chapter 5, starting in verse 21. Uh, if you didn't bring a Bible and you want one, there are blue Bibles on the table in the back. And if you didn't bring a Bible and you don't own a Bible, then one of those on the table in the back is yours to keep as our gift to you. This is the beginning of something in Ephesians called the Household Code. And it shows up in a couple different books in the Bible. And there's something in here to make every single person mad. Each one of us in life wears different hats or plays different roles. Um, what Paul is asking the Ephesian church here at this part of the letter, he's saying in each of the different roles that you play in life, are you doing the things that you're doing for yourself or are you doing them in the service of somebody else. And so we see these different divisions, and we'll explore them over the next couple of weeks. There's husband and wife, parent and child, servant and master. Each of these ways, in each of the ways that we conduct ourselves in all of our relationships, are we doing the things that we're doing for ourselves, or are we doing them for someone else? 
Let me pray as we open God's word together. God, sometimes the, the teachings of your Bible can be hard. We know that they are good. We ask, as we prayed in our collect, that you would, that you would incline our hearts to ask for only those things that are pleasing to you. And so I pray that as we, as we look at this passage of your word together, that it would shape us and mold us and form us into more of the people that you want us to be. In Christ's name, amen. Three times in the New Testament, the, the New Testament author will make reference to this household code. Uh, it's in Colossians 2, it's in 1 Peter chapter 2, and it's here in Ephesians 5. And the idea of a household code was not made up by Peter or Paul. The household code, uh, otherwise known as the, the oikonomia, uh, oikos is house, namas is law. So the oikonomia was around since the days of Aristotle in Greek culture, 350 years before any of this was written. And so there's an existing household code in, in Greco-Roman culture, and Paul takes it in this letter, and he absolutely turns it on his head. He doesn't completely subvert it. He doesn't say, these things don't apply to us. What he does is he takes it and he uses it as a way of showing how God wants his people to live. There's a lot of similarities between the, 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 the household code that we find here in Ephesians and the one that was kind of the dominant secular view of the day. But what Paul does is, in saying how Christians should live, it all comes back to the mutual submission to one another. And this would have been utterly foreign to anybody listening at that time. The giving of ourselves for one another in whatever role God has placed us in. So regardless of our circumstances, regardless of our desires, in whatever situation we find ourselves in, we, we follow Christ by pouring ourselves out for one another. As you look at this, there, there's three different, there, there's three major chunks. There's husbands and wives today, children and parents, which we'll do next week, and then servants and masters. Is this an exhaustive list of the way that Christians should relate to one another? No, absolutely not. Um, it doesn't include single people. And we know that the Apostle Paul loved single people, and, and the church at that time was full of single people. Paul loved single people because it meant that for them, being a part of the, the missional covenant family of God, they didn't have as many distractions as married people with kids do. And so it doesn't, have, it doesn't have single people. It doesn't talk about how we should relate to our neighbors. It doesn't talk about how we should relate to coworkers or the government or anything. So there's just these three chunks of... Here's three, three examples of how Christians should relate to one another. So what Paul was doing was taking this established system, this household code, and rewriting it for the kingdom of God. Here's some, a couple, couple of different things about this, this household code. In the, in the non-Christian world, in the, the Greco-Roman culture of the day, the only person who's ever addressed is the man, the, the father, the, the paterfamilias, the, the head of the family. Because at that time, the idea of a nuclear family living on its own would have been completely foreign to them. So a family would have been a husband and a wife and kids, and aunts and uncles and cousins and nieces and nephews, grandparents, people that work for you, people that just happen to wander into your, to your farm. It was very big. But the only one addressed in the household code is this, this paterfamilias, the head of the family. Why is he the only one who ever gets any rules placed on him? 
because women had absolutely no agency of their own. Children had absolutely no agency of their own. Servants certainly had absolutely no agency of their own. The only one given tasks was the man because the only one with any responsibilities was the man because the only one with any power or agency was the man. This is not the case in New Testament Christianity. Because the way that Paul lays it out, not only are women addressed and children addressed and servants addressed, but they are addressed first. He deals with them first. The, the economy of God's household is very different from the world's economy. Women, given dignity. Women would have never been addressed in a pagan system. And certainly not first. Children, little kids who can't work, who can't do anything. Children are seen as having worth and value, and so they are instructed. Servants are seen as having personhood and worth and value. And everything that Paul is saying, everything I'm going to say this week, everything Don Larson's going to say next week, everything for the next three weeks, keys off Ephesians chapter 5, verse 21. It's all based on this. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. In fact, this first part is so closely tied with the verse before it that if you read the original Greek, here's what verse 21 and 22 says. It says, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, to your husbands. It doesn't even have a verb in there because it's referring back to the last statement. Everything refers back to that last sentence. So the, the divisions that you might find in, in a Bible, you know, chapter divisions were not part of the original text. And, and certainly the little like headings that you see aren't. And a lot of times these headings will start with verse 22 which really isn't fair. Because when you read it starting at verse 22, it just looks like a bunch of rules. Or maybe it just looks like one culture's attempt at making society function smoothly and well. But that's not the case here. This is all based on Christ. Because we follow Christ by pouring ourselves out for one another. And so listen to how Paul frames each one of these things. Let's start with the, the first one that he deals with, wives. Verse 21, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. For the Lord is the head, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church. His body, that's Christ's body. And he himself is its savior. That doesn't mean that the husband is the savior of the wife. It means Christ is the savior of the church. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to, in everything to their husbands. Let me talk first about what this doesn't mean. My old pastor from D.C., Matthew Mason, said this about 70 years ago, and it has always stuck with me. Nowhere in this does this say, all women should submit to all men. This, by the way, was the social structure of the time. This was the Greco-Roman idea. And oftentimes, it's still true in our world today. Uh, various other cultures down through the ages, even today, have this idea that women should be in constant submission to men. That is not what is in view here. I want to be very clear about that. The biblical pattern shows clearly throughout the Bible, Genesis to Revelation, that there are two areas of life, and only two, where there is an instructional pattern given of male headship. And that's in the church and in the home. In the church and in the home. Nowhere else. So, for much of the history of the world, including at an embarrassingly long time in the history of the church, 
there was an idea that somehow women were ontologically, which is just a, a, they were definitionally, they were by definition less than men. It's not true. Men and women were both created in the image of God. Genesis 1, verse 27. God created men in His image. In the image of God, in the image of God He created them. Male and female, He created them. Both women and men are full image bearers of God. And so both women and men have equal, inherent dignity. So, this word submit, what does it mean? It means simply to put someone else's needs in front of your own. It's the basic call on all of our lives. Paul is simply showing how it plays out in a marriage and telling us explicitly why it should play out this way, because this is a model for all of us to see of how Christians submit to the will of Christ. Christ is the head of the church. Christ is the salvation of this covenant family. And that kind of sacrificial headship is what all of us are called to submit to. And so this does not mean that a wife exists simply to serve her husband while he kicks back in the recliner and gets waited on. Because that's not what Christ did for his church. And so if all of this is based on what came before it, then that's not what, that's not what this is. It's not simply serving a man while he reclines in luxury. This does not mean that a wife has to submit to every single whim her husband has, especially if it forces her to follow him down sinful paths. Paul borrowed a lot in his writings from, from various different places. He borrows things from sports metaphors. He borrows things from legal metaphors. And in this one, he borrows from a military term. The word to submit, hupasteso, the word is also a military term. It talks about the organizational structure of the regiment. So this willing submission is not definitional to who we are. It is a choice made by the person in support of a greater mission. A sergeant in the military isn't any less of a soldier than the lieutenant is. They just have different roles within the structure of the organization. And the sergeant is certainly not under any obligation to start obeying illegal, immoral, or unethical orders from his lieutenant because that would violate his oath as a soldier. Same thing here. Wives are called to submit to their husbands because Christ is the head of the church. And so when the husbands go out of line on that, that goes against God's will. That goes against God's command to submit to that thing. But aside from those times, aside from when, when the husband is actually behaving as, as, as he should, as Christ did for his church, a Christian wife is called on to consciously make the decision to choose to submit to the spiritual authority of her husband. Why? Because we follow Jesus. And because Jesus himself consciously made the decision to submit to the will of the Father. There's a passage in, in Philippians chapter 2, verse 6 through 11. It's often called the, uh, the Carmen Christi, or the hymn of Christ. It says that, it tells us that Christ Jesus, who although he was in the form of God, did not consider equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking on the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of mankind. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Right? He, he submitted. He humbled. He set aside what he could do 
in order to pour himself out for others. And so as followers of God, as imitators of God, as Paul called us to be in the last chapter, we follow Christ by pouring ourselves out for one another. Let's come to husbands. So, this is the part of the household code that most clearly mimics the secular Greco-Roman household code of the day. As I said, women are never ever mentioned in the Roman system because why would they be? So, this part, husbands are not called on to protect their wives as they would have been in, in the Roman system. Husbands are not called on to provide for their wives as they would have been in the Roman system. It is much simpler than that and it is much deeper than that. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Historically in the church, there are three reasons to end a marriage. The three A's, abuse, abandonment, and adultery. There are terrible stories that you will hear of pastors putting a heavy burden on abused women and sending them back into a toxic marriage because they lean too heavily on verse 22 about wives without either reading verse 21 or reading this bit right here. Because a woman who is not being led in a godly manner is not the one at fault. And if a man is acting in this kind of flagrantly unchristlike manner that I talked about earlier, no one in good conscience could fault a woman for refusing to submit to her husband because he is not the, because he's the one who's not living out his command to love his wife as Christ loved the church and giving himself up for her. Sacrificial love. Servant leadership. Giving himself up. You know, in, in English, we have one word, love, that actually covers four different words in, in the Greek New Testament. There's brotherly love. There's fatherly love. There's romantic love. And then there's this one that's used here, which is agape. Or, or self-giving love, sacrificial love. It's, it's covenantal love. More often than not, it's used for how God loves us. The kind of love where we give of ourselves, seeking nothing in return. And that's the kind of love that's in view here. Husbands are called to give of themselves for the good of their wives, seeking absolutely nothing in return. Verse 28. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does to the church, because we are all members of his body. Do you hear the inherent equality in that in the midst of these different roles? We, all of us, y'all, are members of his body. We are equal in value. We are different in organizational role. So, the love that the husbands are called to show on their wives is the exact same kind of love that they would show to themselves. We heard this in our Old Testament reading and in our Gospel reading. The two become one flesh. This mystery is profound, Paul says, because he is speaking of how Christ and Christ's church are one. So, husbands are called to consider, them, consider their wives the exact same way that they consider their own body. As Paul says in a different book, in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, for the wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. Likewise, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. By the way, nowhere 
is anything like this found in the secular household code of the day. Husbands at that time were called on to be the protector and the provider. They were to treat their wives with honor, but that mainly meant how they dealt with them in public or how they allowed others to speak to them. But no way would they have been called on to love their wives with the same way that they loved their own bodies. No way would they have been called on to show this covenantal agape love to a woman. The kind of love that gives and gives with absolutely no thought of what they're gaining in return. But if we're to submit to one another out of reverence for Christ, why didn't Paul just use the same term for everyone? Why, why are wives called to, to hupisteo, to submit, while husbands are called to this agape love? Similar verbs, but slightly nuanced. Same concept, but different execution. We pour ourselves out for one another, but the roles are slightly different. And the reason for that is that these things are done for a purpose. And that purpose is not a flourishing society. And that purpose is not an orderly economy or economic prosperity or anything like that. God commands us to live this way because in this way, this is just one example and we'll see two more next week and the week after. This is just one example of how, by our actions, we can remind one another of God's love for us. When we, when we see our wives sublimating their will to our own, we see a physical example of how Christ sublimated his will to that of the Father. And we see a physical example of how Jesus sacrificed for the good of others. And when we see our husbands leading their wives well, pouring themselves out, giving of themselves with no thought of what they'll gain in return, we see a picture of how Christ endured the wrath of the cross for the forgiveness of our sins and then for the eventual renewal of all creation. That's leadership. And so it's actually kind of a privilege to get to live this way. It's one of the ways along with children and parents and servants and masters, that we can demonstrate our trust in Jesus to one another, that we can demonstrate our faith in Jesus, and that we can model that to others. It's kind of, it, it's a more behavioral way of doing the same thing that Paul called us to do last week, which is to exhort one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs telling each other about Jesus. And so these are behavioral ways that we can show the pattern of how Christ loved the church and how the church submits to the will of Christ. And we know that when Christ returns, we know that when He comes back, when heaven comes down to earth and everything is made new, we know that relationships themselves will be healed as part of this universal renewal. And so we won't need reminders from Paul of how we're supposed to treat one another because we will treat one another as Christ treated us. But until that day, when we're in this in-between time, we get to show one another tiny pictures of Jesus. Submit to one another out of reverence for King Jesus. And so one of the ways that we do that is that we follow Christ by pouring ourselves out for one another. Let me pray for us. 
God, will you show us more of these truths in our lives this week, in our relationships with one another, in all the ways that we get to come into contact with one another, Lord? Will you, will you press down into us the truth of how you would have us live, that we may every day be, be better imitators of you because we are so grateful to you for what you have already done for us. May we be rich in love and slow to anger. We pray this in the name of Christ. Amen.